want to say welcome if you're a guest. It's really great to have all of you. Uh, we extend an extra special welcome to our guests. And I want you to know, as a guest, that Journey Church, as an entire community, we care deeply about you. We care deeply about your family. We care about your circumstances. And we're going to do, as a whole church community, we're going to do whatever it takes to help connect you with God in a way that honors you where you're at. Just want you to know that about us. Uh, And something cool that's coming up next weekend, if you're here, uh, this room is going to be decorated like the Enchanted Forest uh, because it is the Belgrade Prom on Saturday night right in here. And uh, so, and the Belgrade Prom does, they, they do a unique thing. So here's what'll happen. Next Saturday night, we'll hold a worship experience in here at six o'clock. We'll get done a little after seven like we usually do. Uh, we'll clear out of here and then uh, it'll already be decorated like the Enchanted Forest if you come on Saturday night. Ooh, that'll be cool. And, uh, and then there's about 800 people from the community, parents and uh, family members, grandmas, grandpas, aunts, uncles, and such, who will show up and sit in these brown chairs while the uh, prom attendees, they do that grand march thing. And so all the couples, they'll actually parade across the stage and we'll put their mugs up on the screens and parents will cheer and take pictures and clap the grand march thing that's kind of weird. I'm glad my high school didn't do that. I would have been terribly embarrassed in my white top hat at a prom. I went to, yeah, jeez. Good night. And so then uh, all those couples will parade across here, and then uh, it'll be all beautiful and cute, and then those people will leave. The adults will leave, the chairs will clear out, and then the students will grind. <laughs> and that will happen right here. Uh, and DJ will mix great music, and then, uh, you know, after it's all over, we'll come in and we'll clean it all up, and then reset the chairs. And so, so uh, I tell you all that to say it's a fantastic event. It's why we built the commons. It's why we're doing what we do. And it'd be a fantastic serving opportunity. If you wanted to linger uh, that night, if you wanted to come back later that night, help us clean up, help us get this room ready for uh, Sunday morning next week, you could just use one of those cards in your chair pockets and uh, help get around that. Be a cool opportunity to put a serving towel over our arms as a church and engage our community. Uh, It's the tail end of spring break. Woo! Did you have a great spring break? And spring break means a lot of things to a lot of different people, uh, doesn't it? Lots of people jet off to warmer climes. Lots of people go on mission trips. uh, Lots of spring break fun times. Uh, I just wanted to tell you what the Hopkins did over spring break. Uh, We moved, which is not at all fun. I would rather, here's how I say it, I would rather have teeth extracted than move. There's nothing worse uh, than moving some fantastic friends who might not be our friends now. They didn't know what they were getting themselves into. They helped us uh, move and they got us settled into this rental house uh, while our new house is under construction. And so, and that all means that for crying out loud, our house finally sold. Praise God. Yes. It took 19 months and it's not closed yet. So you might, like March 31st, anything can happen, right? It's a buyer's market, anything can happen, but we're set to close on the 31st and lots of you prayed about that and, well, it would appear that God has answered your prayers. Thank you. You are the best. We greatly appreciate that. We're going to start a new message series uh, today that's going to carry us all the way up to Easter, which, by the way, Easter is in just five weeks Uh, from now. And this would be a speaking of prayer. This would be a fantastic time for you to start praying no snow for the world's largest Easter egg hunt prayers now. Five weeks out would be a great time. No snow for the Easter egg hunt Saturday before Easter. Uh, And over the past few months, uh, I felt my heart stirring toward helping us as a church community better answer some of the very stickiest questions that we Christians ever get asked. 
Questions like, what makes you so sure that God exists? Why trust the Bible? How could God allow such evil pain and suffering in this world? Why does Christianity condemn homosexuality? Does heaven really exist? And would a loving God really send people to hell? You know, sort of little questions like that, right? And in all candor, those questions and those like those questions, they're some of the very stickiest questions that ever get asked of Christians. And they're so sticky that many of we who follow Jesus Christ, we hope, and many of us even pray, that no one will ever ask those questions of us because we're so freaked out about how in the world we'd answer in a way that honors God and satisfies the questioner's seeking curiosity. And so it was sort of out of that milieu that was born this series that we'll be embarking on for the next five weeks. Sticky questions Christians hope no one will ask. And here's why we're going to go here. It's my opinion that the questions about Christianity are coming faster and more furiously than they ever have before. Maybe you would agree with that. Best-selling books, magazines, college classrooms, TV documentaries, the internet, they're all fueling the myriad questions that are coming our way. And here's what that means for all of us who follow Jesus Christ. Your family members, your friends, your neighbors, your classmates, your roommates, your work colleagues, and so they're asking these questions. They're thinking about these things. And if They know that you're a follower of Jesus Christ. They may very well come to you with one or more of those very sticky questions that you've been hoping and praying that no one would ever ask. And how are you going to answer them? How are you going to answer their very, very sticky questions? A guy named Mark Middleberg, who's a genius in my opinion, he relates the following exchange. This is him writing. I used to be a Christian. The opening words from the young man on the other end of the line caught my attention. That's Mark's attention. What do you mean, used to be a Christian, Christian, Mark asked. As the story unfolded first on the phone, then later when he and his friend met with me in my office, I learned what had happened. These very sharp young high school students had been asking a variety of spiritual questions at their church youth group meetings, but they had not received helpful answers. The first time they raised their objections was during a Sunday school class. But the teacher shut them down quickly. Those are things that people of faith must just accept by faith, he insisted. You just need to believe them, and when you believe them, you'll just know that they're true. To these guys, Mark writes, and I'll have to admit to me, too, that sounded like an admission that there are no good reasons to believe in Christianity. Later that summer, those same students had gone to their church's summer camp for high school students, and they asked their questions there, this time to a different set of leaders, though. This time they were told, you mustn't raise those issues here. You'll only confuse the other campers. It's a great reason not to ask those questions, right? You'll only confuse the other campers. You'll only confuse the other campers' excuse for not answering. So these students, they held their questions while their doubts grew and festered, increasingly poisoning the faith that they did have. Eventually, they abandoned their belief in God altogether. What's more, they turned their weekly Bible study that had been meeting in a home into what they now call a skeptics group, a place they now invite their friends from school to come and hear the evidence against the Bible, against Christianity. And you hear that, and that is an incredibly tragic experience, isn't it? Incredibly tragic. And here's why it's so tragic. is because spiritual questions are always powerful doorways. God actually wants to use spiritual questions in the lives of people. And when spiritual questions are answered and answered very well, they can bring truth and they can bring light, the kind of truth and the kind of light that Jesus talks about setting people free. 
They're opportunities to share God's truth with other people, people who are seeking. But when spiritual questions are left unanswered or when they're answered very poorly, those questions lead to doubt, frustration, even spiritual alienation from God himself. One of the great apologists of all time, a guy named Walter Martin, he said, when we who follow Jesus Christ fail to answer someone's questions and objections, we become just one more excuse for them to disbelieve. Just one more excuse. Folks, there is so incredibly much at stake with our friends and our coworkers and our family members' questions. And when we step up and when we own and when we realize that, one of the most important tasks we could ever engage in is helping them find the answers that they're seeking. Remember, they're asking. They're asking. A guy named Randy Kilgore, he's the vice president of an outfit called Marketplace Network. It's an association of people interested in the integration of faith and work, and he writes this weekly online devotional for people in the workplace called Marketplace Moments. In one piece he wrote, he describes a conversation that he had with a woman on a commuter train. Somehow they got to talking about faith in the workplace, and this woman was not a Christ follower. She clearly had issues with Christians in the workplace. And Randy asked this woman a question he's been asking people just like her for years. Here's the question. What are the five things that you want from your coworkers who claim to be Christians? What are the five things that you want from coworkers who claim to be Christians? He got quite an earful on that train ride, but in the end, she identified the very same five things Randy hears every single time he ever asks the question, and here they are. Number one, I wish my Christian coworkers knew more about their faith. I wish my Christian coworkers knew more about their faith, what they believe, and why. That's very interesting, isn't it? Who would have thought that the people you work with the people you work for wished that you knew more about your faith. It seems that when people ask seeking type spiritual questions, they're looking for thoughtful, substantive answers. They do not just want glib Christian cliches or an embarrassed or a hurried response. They really want to know why you believe what you believe. They want to know what you believe in the first place. They wish we knew more about our faith. Number two, I wish my Christian coworkers had more hope in hard times. I wish my Christian coworkers had more hope in hard times. Of all the things that people are looking for inside of we who follow Jesus Christ, the one they're most interested in is hope. Because it seems like when bad things happen in the world, like unraveling in Middle Eastern countries, giant earthquakes, ensuing tsunamis, and nuclear power plant meltdowns, and so when bad things happen in life, big stuff on a global scale or stuff like sickness or family strife closer to home, people are looking to you and they're looking to me. They're looking to we who follow Jesus Christ for hope. They're looking for positive perspective on what's happening. They're longing for some source of strength and courage, something to stand on, something to hang on to that is immovable. They wish their Christian coworkers had more hope in hard times. Number three, I wish my Christian coworkers were more curious about the hard questions of life so that when asked those questions, they would already have answers so that this wouldn't be the first time they ever thought about this stuff. And there it is again. Another data point that proves that people are far more interested in talking about spiritual things than we ever give them credit for. So many people have absolutely no opportunity to do that. And they're wishing that the Christians they knew, the Christians that are in their life, were more willing to talk about those things. Number four, this one's a little stinging. 
I wish my Christian coworkers behaved more honorably. It seems that people, even people who are far from God, expect Christ followers to live distinctive lives. And they are disappointed when they see no difference in the way we live or work or conduct ourselves. And number five, this one's a little stinging too. I wish my Christian coworkers were more compassionate than they are. I wish my Christian coworkers were more compassionate than they are. Because it seems, and maybe you've encountered this, that many Christians come across as harsh, judgmental, insensitive, intolerant, and so. People aren't bothered by the fact that we're passionate about our faith. It doesn't bug them at all. They want us to know more and they want us to talk more as a matter of fact. They just wish we weren't so hard on people who don't share that faith, who don't share our way of thinking. It's an interesting list. And notice people, they never said that they wish we Christians would keep our faith to ourselves. They didn't say, I wish the Christians in my workplace would just loosen up and party once in a while. They never said they wish Christians would just bend the rules just a wee little bit to close a deal once in a while. All they want from us is that we would be true to our faith, honest about our struggles, very serious about our work, and respectful of people who see things, understand things differently than we do. Now, there's some really good news in those data points, and there's some very bad news I'll give you the good news first because it feels better to go that way. The good news is that Christians, that's you and me, we're the go-to people when life gets hard. When people are looking for answers, we're the go-to people. It's fantastic news. There could not be better news, really. Where else, after all, would you rather have people looking for answers and for hope and for solutions to life's biggest problems and steepest challenges? They're coming to us. That's powerful. But the very bad news is that when people do look to us for hope and help, they're often very disappointed by the quality of our faith, by our inability to answer their hard, sticky, difficult questions. Get this, people of all ages and stages of life, they need help sorting out what to believe. And while we who follow Jesus Christ, we're often the go-to people for a response to their most pressing questions, sadly, tragically, Many, many, many of us, we're not ready to answer. We do not know what to say. When a person looks us square in the eye and asks a sincere, challenging, spiritual question, like, what makes you so sure that God even exists? Why trust the Bible? How could a good and loving God allow so much evil, pain, and suffering on the planet? Why is Christianity so anti-gay? Does heaven really exist? And would a loving God really send people to hell. When people look us square in the eye and they ask those sorts of questions, myriads of other ones as well, truthfully, most of us don't know how to respond appropriately. We freak out. We break out in a cold sweat. We look for a table to duck under much of the time. But the Apostle Peter, he challenges us really directly on that point, doesn't he? If you've got a Bible, I'd invite you to turn to 1 Peter three fifteen and 16. You don't have a Bible, you can follow along on the screens. And uh, if you'll pardon me, the notes page, the only verse we're going to get to on that notes page is this one, 1 Peter three fifteen and 16. The other ones are fodder for your own quiet times this week, if you'd like. 1 Peter three fifteen and 16, here's what the Bible said. I'd ask that guy to read it, but he has duct tape or something over his mouth. If someone asks about your Christian hope, always be ready to explain it. And if someone asks about your Christian hope, always be ready to explain it. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. 
Now get this, just by way of background. Peter is addressing Christ followers who were scattered all across the Roman Empire. Many, many, many of them, they were living in places that were quite hostile to the Christian faith. Christianity, understand, in this day was quite a minority, very minority population. Their beliefs and their practices were widely misunderstood. They were frankly, Christians were frankly considered a threat to society. As a result, many, many Christ followers, they were suffering. They were suffering social, economic persecution, the big P word, for their faith in Jesus Christ. They were finding themselves shut out of social circles, struggling to find jobs, struggling to even do business in their communities. Now, it's true that most of us don't experience that level, that kind of persecution. We would all concur that this planet is an increasingly challenging place to live out your faith, isn't it? It's just hard many days. And Peter speaks to us. He speaks to his original listeners, certainly, but he speaks to us directly on this point. Now, I want to look at the early part of verse 15. I didn't put this part on your notes page, but you could scratch it in if you wanted to. That's the first part, uh, 15a, call it. Instead, Peter says, you must worship Christ as the Lord of your life. He says all the answers to all the questions about your hope in Jesus Christ starts here. You must worship Christ as Lord of your life. They all start there. Before we ever attempt to answer anyone's questions about faith, we got to have this settled. Christ is in charge. When Peter says worshiping Christ as Lord of your life, that means that Jesus is in charge of every aspect of your life. He's your boss, as we like to say around here. You work for God. And sure, you probably have a job that you go to for hours every day where you answer to a higher-up, where you answer to a boss, but answering to that boss is second in line to the God boss. And having God as your boss means that he calls the shots. He's in the captain's seat. Your allegiance is to him first and foremost. And an interesting thing happens. Peter says, when you get that right, when God's the boss, when everything is under the lordship of Jesus Christ... When you live and when you work according to God's hierarchy, the way God invites you to live and work, that gets people's attention. That's captivating. They'll notice. They'll wonder why. And they won't just wonder. They'll actually ask. Which is why Peter follows with the rest of 15 and 16. And if someone asks about your Christian hope, always be ready to explain it. Always be ready to explain it, but do this in a gentle and respectful way. And what Peter's saying here is that you do not have to make a bunch of noise, clanging symbols and such about your faith. You do not have to pressure people into conversations they're not comfortable with. You do not have to hack into all your friends' computers and install John 3.16 as their screensaver. <laughs> Peter says when you live like a follower of Christ under the lordship of Christ... It is so distinctive, it is so compelling, it is so countercultural, it is so amazingly different from the rest of the world around them that people will come to you. They'll want to know what's inside of you, what makes you tick, what makes you think the way you think, what makes you act the way that you act. How many times has that happened to you? How many times? How many times have people said to you, you know, there's just something about the way that you flip burgers or build houses or raise children or sell insurance or wash cars or run your organizations or fly your airplane or coach your team that's different than the way that other people do those very same things. That can happen. That will happen. P 
Peter says, if and when you make Christ Lord of your life, everything else subservient to him, everything else under his authority, he's calling the shots, you're not. And so then the question becomes, when it does happen, will you be ready and able to answer the questions? Will you be ready and able to answer the questions? Because being ready really means two different things. First, it means that you're willing Right? Being ready to answer the question means that you're willing. The original audience, recall, that Peter was writing to, they were Christians living in a very, very hostile environment. It was not easy, nor was it comfortable for them to talk out loud about their faith. Just like it's not always easy, nor is it always comfortable for us to talk about our faith aloud. It can be awkward. And so the first question is, are you willing to give an answer? Are you willing to step up and speak openly and candidly about your faith in Jesus Christ? You've got to have that settled. And I hope and pray the answer is yes. Yes, I'm absolutely willing. Second, being ready also means that you're able. You're able. It means that you have something to say. You have a message to share. When someone asks why in the world you have such a positive outlook, even in the midst of the most grim circumstances, are you ready to say, it's because Christ has filled my life with joy and hope? Are you ready to say that much? And if someone asks about your Christian hope, always be ready to explain it, but do this in a gentle and respectful way. You don't get into people's faces. You do not tell people more than they wanna hear. You don't attack their faith or their lack of faith. You make Jesus your boss, first of all, that causes you to live life in such a way that it prompts people to ask the question, why? And then when they do ask, we offer a clear, honest, and gentle, respectful response. And what does it point people to? What's Peter say it's supposed to point people to? Our hope, isn't it? Our answers point people toward our hope. Now, normally we who follow Jesus Christ, we talk about sharing our faith, don't we? And there's absolutely, hear me clearly, there's nothing wrong with that. Sharing your faith is fantastic. But Peter, in 1 Peter 3.15, he puts the emphasis on sharing our hope, kind of a different twist on the matter. Peter's saying, when we share our faith, we're looking backward, aren't we? We're looking to the cross of Jesus Christ, for example, the cross on which he died for our sins. We look back, for example, to the first Easter when he rose from the grave, when and where he emphatically, once and for all, proved that there is absolutely life after this life, that we too can have eternal life through a faith commitment to him. We're looking back. Some other times when we share our faith, we look back to what we used to be before we made Jesus our boss, our BC days, before Christ days, some of us call it. We look back at all that he's done for us, and we share those things with other people who don't yet have faith in Christ. But Peter says, point people toward our hope, and where does hope point? Forward, doesn't it? Hope is all about looking out ahead. We're saying to our family members, our friends, our neighbors, our classmates, our roommates, our work colleagues, here's why I'm so incredibly confident about the future. Here's why I'm so optimistic when the rest of the world is so incredibly pessimistic. When we share our hope in Jesus Christ, we're looking out ahead. We're not looking back. We're looking forward. And so someone says, how can you possibly be so optimistic? Why and how do you have hope and joy when such bad things are happening to you and all around you when it would appear that this world is going to hell in a handbasket fast? Where does your hope come from? And Peter says, Always be ready to explain your hope, the source of your hope, Jesus Christ. 
A guy named Tony Dungy, he says in the introduction of his book called Quiet Strength, it's a personal memoir, that he was hesitant in the first place to even write a book about his life. He doesn't like talking about him. He's quite a humble fella. But people kept hounding him because they kept asking him, how is it possible to have such hope in the midst of life's adversities? And he's had a pile of them, hasn't he? He said simply, I like the saying, life is hard, but God is good. Life is hard, but God is good. It is only because of God's goodness that we can even have hope, both here and looking forward into the hereafter. And so, are you ready to give an answer for the hope that you have because of Christ? Are you ready? Do you know what you believe and why you believe? Are you able to share the hope of Christ with gentleness and with respect? And so for the next five weeks, we're going to sort of tackle some of those and give you uh, the answers. Now, I want to treat this one question as we wrap up today. There are some translations of the Bible that render 1 Peter 3.15... Uh, where the New Living Translation uses the word explain. Some translations, you might have a translation that does this, uh, render the word explain, defend instead. Maybe you've seen that. Defend. Which for we who follow Jesus Christ, it raises the question, is it our job to defend God, to defend Christianity, to defend our faith? Are we supposed to do that? Does God expect or need us to defend him to people who make claims and accusations and so against him? And we've all seen that, haven't we? Public debates, for example, where uh, a Christian, a prominent Christian, squares off against a very prominent atheist, and they're going to argue the merits of Christianity, and so. You've all seen it. Some of us have even done it. I sure have. There was a period of time in my life when I thought that my primary role on planet Earth for Jesus Christ was to be God's public defense attorney. That's what I I thought my job was at that time. Uh, It was most pronounced... Uh, with Mr. Miller, who was my 10th grade biology class teacher at Billings West High School. Go Bozeman Hawks. (laughs) And Mr. Miller started teaching, and it's biology class, right? So what do you think the topic was? Evolution. Yeah, I heard a couple of you. Yeah. And so the very first time I ever heard the word evolution cross Mr. Miller's lips, my overzealous, unwise Christian worldview antenna went sky high, you know? And so uh, I managed to track down this enormous, it was like this thick binder of anti-evolution material from a pastor friend of mine who literally in his church spent two whole years preaching creationism. And I got this giant binder and I toted that thing into my class every single day. I was such a geek. Some of you would argue that I still am a geek. But I married a hot wife. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) And so I toted my giant binder of anti-evolution material in for two weeks. And any time precious, nice Mr. Miller would open his mouth about evolution, I was on him like white on rice, blasting him and his case with my sort of finely honed Bible bullets that completely missed the point of the con. And I was talking about stuff I had no idea. The second law of thermodynamics. I'm talking, you know, like, I'm a geek, but not that much of a geek. One day, as he was talking about evolution, I literally told Mr. Miller, kind Mr. Miller, I told him that he was asinine. And you know what he did? He dropped to his knees and he prayed the sinner's prayer right then. He said, oh, I'm convinced. Oh, I just made a fool of myself, a fool of 
God, it did not go well at all. I was an idiot. Idiot. And if you'd have asked me back in those days, I'd have said, you know what? 1 Peter 3.15 demands that I do this. 1 Peter 3.15 demands that I throw all the Bible bullets I possibly can at this kind-hearted man to defeat him. But when you read 1 Peter 3.15, what becomes clear is that it's not about seeking out venues in which to publicly defend the Christian faith. That's not what this is about. What's in view from Peter's letter is the informal circumstances when Christ followers are asked spontaneously about their faith. It's the water cooler question conversations. Where you're standing there and a colleague approaches you and says, hey, I've been thinking about this thing and tell me about what Christians think about. It's that kind of conversation. It isn't about atheist Christian public debates where people come and watch and ooh and ah over who has the better argument. Now, Peter's exhortation in 1 Peter 3.15 has been used to justify Christian philosophy and apologetics. That is a completely legitimate application of this verse. Absolutely, it stands. But it's also very clear that the Apostle Peter did not have in mind the professional or academic field of Christian apologetics. Peter's primary concern instead is that we, every single one of us who follow Jesus Christ, we are able to humbly and respectfully, think about me and Mr. Miller, humbly and respectfully, was not even close to part of our conversation, humbly and respectfully explain our hope in Christ to anyone who might ask. And Mr. Miller never even asked. I just offered. And here's what happens, is we Christians sometimes, we get brash, and we get arrogant, and we get awfully defensive, don't we? And we think we've got it all figured out, and we think we have all the answers, which frankly are very often nothing more than expressions of our insecurity, aren't they? And Peter says, replace the arrogance, and replace the brashness, and replace the defensiveness with respect, with gracious explanations of the hope that we have in the Lord. And notice I never use the word defense, not God's public defense attorney. Because when we're humble and when we're gracious and when we're respectful, this amazing thing can happen. The people who are asking the questions, you know what? They just might step across the line of faith in Jesus Christ. Whoa. They just might. There's nothing better than that. Does God need us to defend him? Does he expect us to defend him? More and more, I don't think so. Explain the hope that we have that comes from him and him alone? Absolutely defend him. No, because when you think about it, everything God has ever revealed to us about himself shows that he's way stronger than us, way more powerful than us. Think about his sacrifices, these priceless, divine sacrifices on our behalf. And our strength runs out in a hurry next to God's. And so what makes us think that we can just spit out some Bible bullets in defense of almighty, all-powerful God himself. What makes us think that we're needed to protect him, get this, from the fiery darts of his creation? Remember, he made us. The creation cannot defend the creator. Only he is capable of defending himself, and he's plenty able, isn't he? He is plenty able to show himself strong and show himself mighty, without us. Think about God's ability to secretly touch the hearts of all of humanity, kings, 
princes, common people, and draw them to himself. Which means, church, that our business is to lovingly explain him as the source of all our hope. Take your stuff and set it aside, if you would. I just invite you to close your eyes and go to prayer. This is the journey that we're embarking on for the next five weeks, seeking to answer some of the stickiest questions known to humanity. to know that this isn't just an intellectual exercise. We're not just doing this so that we can fill another binder with Christian facts. This is about us being able to live out 1 Peter 3.15. Always be ready to give an answer for the hope that you have that comes from God. Always be ready. And could I ask you to think on and pray on and listen into the Lord on this question? How is God asking you to think differently about your spiritual conversations about God? How might God today be asking you to think differently about 1 Peter 3.15? Maybe you've been a sort of public defense attorney for God for a long time. And maybe you've been red-faced many, many times in heated debate with people who don't yet know God, who are asking difficult questions. Maybe today God's asking you to readjust your approach. Maybe he's wanting you to think differently about how you have those water cooler conversations when people ask very sticky, very hard questions. Maybe today for you it becomes less about defense and becomes way, way, way more about just explanation. Hopeful explanation that points people to Jesus Christ, the source of all hope. If God's prompting you to walk out your conversations a little differently, just cement that with him today. Drive a stake in the ground and go, you know, There's a different way to go about this. And I'm going to start now. And ask the Lord for his strength that comes through his Holy Spirit. And just tell him that you're in with him. That you'll speak the words that the Holy Spirit actually gives you. And you'll find that'll happen. The Holy Spirit will give you words way, way, way beyond your human capacity. He'll help you be ready. He'll help you be ready. And maybe you're a person who's here today and you don't yet call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ. You don't yet have your own personal relationship with the God of the universe through his son, Jesus Christ. Maybe you're a person who's here today and you've been a skeptic for a long, long time. You've been going through life on your own and it's been a little shaky, it's been a little challenging. Could I ask you, what if this is your day? What if this is your day to step across the line of faith into your own personal relationship with the God of the universe? What if this is your day? What's keeping you? And if that's you today, 
That journey all starts by confessing to God. God, I get it. I'm a sinner. I recognize that everything in my life has been going contrary to you. It's been going away from you. And God, more than anything else in this world, I desperately need your forgiveness. I am in need of your forgiveness. And I ask you to please wash away all of my sin. Jesus, I want to know you more than I want anything else. Please forgive me. Please change me. And if you're a person who's here today who's saying yes to God, you want to experience the love of God, you want to turn back to God, if you're asking him for his forgiveness, if you're asking him to make you brand new, if you're surrendering everything to him, if you're saying to God, I don't want to trust in anything, anyone else but you, Jesus, if you're making Jesus your boss today, if that's the prayer of your heart today, would you just real boldly lift your hand right where you are and just make eye contact with me? Yeah, right there, both of you. Way to go, yes. And there, yes. Wait again, you too, yes. Right here to my right. And in the back, yes, absolutely. And both of you right here, yeah, absolutely. And in the back, amen, yes. Both of you back there, yes. I stand with you, I say, yeah, and you right here. Absolutely, yes. God's making you brand new and he's changing you. Are there any others? I'll wait for you. This is the biggest deal in your whole life. Eternity hinges here. God, we say thank you. We say thank you for all of these today who are saying yes to you who are stepping into relationship with you, who are ordering their life around you, who are making you their boss. We say yes. We celebrate with the angels in heaven right here and right now, God. God, I pray that 1 Peter 3.15, that we would be people of your book. That we would be people who lovingly explain you the source of our hope and we're human and so we're imperfect and that means we screw that up sometimes and so empower us with your Holy Spirit, God. And when we lack words, when we lack answers, please fill in the gaps as only you can. Do not, God, please let us utter a word that is not from you. Constrain our tongue when you need to, God, because we want to represent you well. We want to represent you well. And God, I pray for this community called Journey. That the lives of this community would be so attractive, so compelling, that people just spontaneously ask, whether it's across the backyard fence or whether it's at the water cooler, that people would just ask, what is it? What's different? And God, that we would be ready with an answer that glorifies you, an answer that exalts you, an answer that answers the question and points people toward you, the source of all our hope. 